This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. You know from a little bit of Zen that sometimes sitting there and letting your head clear works out a lot of other things. So I'm not going to worry about it. If I never see wilderness, I'm glad it's there. I don't fear death. I'm not too happy about the way I'm going to die. It's not going to be a pretty deal. But I know that. It's not a factor in my life. What is a factor is sitting in my garage looking at all that gear well taken care of and maintained and knowing that I can't go back and touch those places, that I can't see Val out there in her cocktail dress and me in my band uniform walking up a canyon dancing in the moonlight, doing those kinds of things. Those things that I've learned to love so dearly, I am never going to see the places that put me back up against the wall to touch the vibrations of Earth. I'm never going to see that again on my rivers. Every night before I go to bed, I put myself in Desolation Canyon with some rain or snow or wind or stars. And it can't replicate the moonlight coming down a canyon wall like sunlight would in the morning. But it's a little bit of taste, you know. It's a treasured memory. In December of 2019, a short film titled The Salad Days was released. This film is a story of a person who did not ever see his life as something that might be captured in a film. The story of a man who was inducted into the River Runners Hall of Fame in 2019. Herm Hoops is that man. The Saladays meets Herm possibly on his last trip down the Green River through Desolation and Great Canyons in Utah and explores the life of a Park Service employee who kept pivoting his life towards rivers and inadvertently towards river conservation. Cody Perry from Rig to Flip Media Productions built the Saladays film and saw something in Herm that he believed ought to be committed to film. In this episode, Herm Hoops his wife Valerie Hoops, and Cody Perry all sit down with me just before they screen the Saladay's film while on tour in the Four Corners region of the Southwest United States. Herm has cancer and other health complications. He had with him his oxygen tank, and from time to time you can hear that motor kick on in the background. In the big picture of this podcast, I consider the elders of the river running community, those who have come before me and before many of us, those who boated in flimsy bucket boats, military bridge pontoon boats, folks who never wore a dry suit, who cooked on campfires and slept right on the ground. All a far cry from the comforts and agilities of the modern riverboating catalog life we live. These elders are coming to the end of their lives. Their voices and their memories and their passions are worth our time. So here's one of our river elders, Herm Hoops. And considering all that, it is vividly special to also have his wife Valerie in the studio with us. This show was recorded on Valentine's Day. Welcome to the River Radius, Herm Hoops, Valerie Hoops, Cody Perry. Let's start off with some introductions from you all. Cody, would you please introduce Valerie? Yes. Valerie Hoops is a salt-of-the-earth, sweet-as-honey woman um, that comes from the Chu family, a many-generations-back family that has homesteaded in Dinosaur National Monument. And still today, that family is running a ranch just at the uh, boat ramp takeout of Dinosaur National Monument. That is, if you come to look at the monument from rivers, right where you take out your trip at the end of Dinosaur, 
her family, her lineage is still there ranching today after many generations. Um, and Valerie is Hoop's wife, and we got to go down the river together a couple years ago filming this project. Valerie, would you please introduce Herm? This is Herm Hoops. He is somebody who a lot of times his reputation precedes him, and sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. (laughs) Um, But he is um, a lover of history, a lover of nature and rivers in particular, a lover of river guides and commercial boat owners, and and a recent inductee to the River Hall of Fame. Herm, would you please introduce Cody? When I first met Cody and Ben, they were doing uh, some documentation at the Split Mountain Boat Ramp and Dinosaur uh, about the rockfall and how it changed the nature of Warm Springs Rapid, and they had contacted a whole bunch of folks to come down there and give their memories of running Warm Springs, and then I noticed that Cody was going back to some of the original people who were there when it uh, flash flooded. So I got a great deal of respect for him because I knew that he was not just a sugar-coated kind of producer, that he was actually digging into a subject to learn about it from the people who were there. So I took a pretty immediate liking to him, and then I believe a year or so later, he was running from Flaming Gorge on down to Height, I believe it was, and uh, and uh, met them for some drinks at the Conoco Station in Jensen, and then they abandoned me for a woman. The other part of the introduction is that, Cody, over the past uh, maybe year and a half, two years, you've built a film called The Salad Days that features Herm. And that you're on tour. The three of you are right now on tour in the Four Corners region of the United States. Valerie, from your perspective, what is this film about? So this is a film about Herm and his kind of his path towards loving rivers and protecting rivers. And it kind of shows how he hasn't really changed his enthusiasm even though he's aging and things are changing, his enthusiasm and love for that is not has not changed. And Cody, you built the film, which means you did the research, you did the filming, you did the production. You had some help from the rest of your team, but you're the lead. What stood out to you about Herm that you felt that there was a story to be told at the level that it ought to be put onto a video? I look at boating kind of like a heritage, um, and, it, and it's a unique heritage that fits into this landscape. And because I feel so deeply connected to various places around the Colorado Plateau, I look to others, predecessors and contemporary folks who are out there still today, for a sense of, a sense of bearing on issues that either affect rivers or to, to like a weather vein of culture. Herm Hoops is is all together. You just can't miss this guy's persona out on the rivers as a, a, a person who is a keeper and and teller of stories related to river running. 
that's kind of one of the first things that that stuck out to me as as an indicator of like this is important. This is something that matters to me, and what really kind of set me out on wanting to know Herm Hoops. And Herm, you get to be the star of this movie. What do you think about the movie? My mom was stunned because I just never looked at myself that way. I like to be out on water. I like to be out there alone. I like to explore out there on the river. And uh, I never realized that I had an impact on other people. It wasn't until the Tusher issue came up on the Green River that I knew that it had some positive impact on threats to the river. So it, 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 it took me completely by surprise uh, when Cody wanted to do the film. You know, he, he, he filmed pretty much everything he saw there at my house, which was a little scary. Uh, I found out that he dug up TV clips from me that I didn't know existed. It was a, it, you know, it was an honor. It was an honor. Uh, but I just, I never saw myself in, in that kind of place. I just didn't. Uh, I was doing what I do. I've had a lot of time to think about like life trajectories through the salad days. The salad days itself, the title, is a Shakespearean idiomatic expression that talks about, you know, one's youthful days, days of indiscretion, days where we learn important lessons that like form who we are. And seeing Herm's trajectory and thinking a lot about life, about Hoops' life. Valerie's life, my life, all you know, where we come from, who shapes what we end up and what shapes our own lives and what do we do with those things and talking about protecting a landscape, protecting an environment that means so deeply something to us in our in our inner being that that landscape then becomes something that we owe something to. There's a there's a reciprocating kind of we get so much of off of it we feel compelled to give back to those things that was herm's salad days these formative places these formative experiences that set him on a course to be who he was and then to be an ardent defender of those places and voice for those um that i found to be really quite quite large of an experience for me that i'll never forget and I really, I really honor and feel deeply connected to. What is it about a river? What is it about being on it, near it, floating it, touching it, that you like so much? Well, I mean, it's just plain wrong. It's just a man who doesn't love a river, you know. <laughs> well, rivers are our lifeblood. I mean, they're they provide us with uh, drinking water and ability to water our crops and where our cities are built. And they are the lifeblood of humanity. And so you have to realize that rivers don't go to sleep. They just keep going. They do what rivers do. And you can put a dam up on a river and you can depend on that dam. Someday that dam ain't going to be there and the river's going to do what rivers do. And that's either go around it or wash it away. So what brings me to this point is that's the ultimate knowledge. When... You're on the river, or when you're trying to learn about the river, you begin to realize that you are close to the ultimate. 
that's enhanced by putting your oars in the water and you're able to almost feel in your heart what the river is saying, what the river is doing. And you don't have to have somebody tell you. You don't have to have somebody do it for you. It just comes through the oars and into your heart. That does put you right directly in touch with the ultimate. But the ultimate knowledge is the river's going to win in the long run. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want my children to at least experience a little bit of what I did. And I want your children and your grandchildren and others to be able to experience that. It'll never be like I saw it. Just like I'll never see it like Buzz Hatch or John Wesley Powell. But it was a beautiful thing when I saw it. And it's still a pretty nice thing. So, Herm, it's apparent that you have a rebellious nature, that you don't like to be told what to do. You're going to do it your way. What is that? Tell, tell us more about that side of you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is true. I speak for me. And a lot of times I see people who order others around are just doing it to enhance their own ego. But there are better ways to to get people to do things. So, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a rebel. I do things the way I want to. And a lot of times that gets people upset. I'd say... Probably 70% of the people who run across me don't care for me. And that's good. That's fine. That's your choice. Do you like this part of your character? Oh, not particularly, no. I wish I could be different. I tried for many years to be different. I really did. I fought it. But uh, that's not who I am. So rebellion can be a few things. It can be it can be fighting back. It can also just be doing things the way you want to do them and living your life that way. We can go on and on with that definition. But there's a story that Cody told me that you had worked your way up in the national park system and you had what I might call the carpet walker job in Denver, big federal center. That was your job and you opted out. Yeah, it was a piece of cake job. I got to come down to Mesa Verde and Canyonlands and Hovenweep and Arches and all those Utah parks that I was interested in uh, seeing. And uh, now I was supposed to stay in a motel but I used to either sleep in the government vehicle or in a campground. And, you know, my boss was upset with me because he didn't want his employees to sleep in road culverts. But it was a piece of cake job because what I did was I came down and evaluated some of the programs, did a little training. I was pretty well set, but you see, the only reason that I opted to be in the National Park Service, once I saw Echo Park, I wanted to be a ranger at Dinosaur National Monument. I saw Echo Park as being the heart of the earth, the heartbeat of the planet. And you were surrounded with the history that allowed us to run these rivers and people of First Nations lived in and ranchers ecked out a homestead and it was just rich with history. But it was a place that just captured me and uh, Echo Park was the place I wanted to be. My daughter's name is Echo, after uh, David Brower's fight. And so you you have this job with the National Park Service mm-hmm. in Denver. Am I right that you quit the job? Yeah, it was a GS-11. So you took a pay cut. Yeah, of course, it hurt me in my retirement, too, uh, because, you know, it's the high five years. Well, I just lost my high five years 
you know, off at the knees. But it's something I wanted to be at. It's some place I wanted to be. I, I was the uh, quarry district naturalist. So I was in charge of the, the district where the dinosaurs were. And the thing about dinosaur is what gets the big uh, news headlines at dinosaur are dinosaurs. But there's 130-some thousand other acres out there that have petroglyphs and homesteads and river canyons and springs and and places where you can get away and experience who you are. And my job, I saw it as uh, getting people to not just see the dinosaurs, hang out for a couple of days and go do this. Come back next year and do a river trip. You know, and something, too, I feel like, Looking at Herm Hoops as as a colorful rebel, a character in in the river culture, is sure like there he's he's a rebellious and outspoken federal employee, and uh, he he gets involved in management issues, particular ones, um, voicing outrage or consternation over some uh, grievance that's been imposed on this place that threatens it in in ways that you know, not only that Herm's experience, but others. The first time that river regulations, in particular, oh, yeah. groovers, and then you slept in the pile. Yeah. You don't learn by listening. You learn by doing. And, and and sometimes the things you do are wrong. And hopefully you learn from those things that you've done wrong. And so when Desolation first put out their human waste carryout system, I mean, you, Lador still had outhouses. There was nothing like that in Cataract, nothing like that in Westwater. They had outhouses down the river at the yeah, camps? Yeah. Oh, wow. Picnic tables, fire rings. All the way down the river? All the way down the river, yep. So back to the human waste carryout system, I'm like, uh, Maybell, Colorado is dumping raw sewage into the Yampa. Vernal, Utah is dumping secondary treated sewage into the river. And Nine Mile Canyon, you got like 100 head of Hereford standing in the river. And I'm going to carry my human waste out? Not very likely. Now, at that time, but up until that time, uh, Desolation Canyon was the merit badge trip for Boy Scouts in Utah. And, I mean, there were herds of Boy Scouts piled up on boats like logs that would go down there. And they, uh, they had pretty much trashed the place one way or the other. But human waste, I mean, come on. So I bought myself a cheap human waste carryout system. Then I come back later that year to do it, and I launched real late in the day out of Sandwash, and the ranger checked me out, and I went down, and no problem. And it was getting dark by the time I got down to uh, uh, Rock House, and there used to be a nice big broad sandy beach there, and I rolled my sleeping bag out in the sand in the dark, no pad under or anything. And when I woke up in the morning, my sleeping bag was covered with toilet paper blooms and human feces. And right away, I realized the problem was not Maybell, Colorado, or Vernal, Utah, or Herefords in the River. The problem was me. And I became a staunch supporter of the human waste carryout system. So, you know, you can say that I'm rebellious, but when I see the light, I see it pretty brightly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, the, the rangers down at Sandwash always really used to love to hear my uh, talk to people about human waste carryout because 
that really hits the point that there's just not a lot of room in those bottoms. You wrote the history of inflatable boats. Well, I documented it. Yeah, not an official book necessarily. In there, you have a realization around the effect of the movement from wooden boats that could carry very few people to inflatable boats that could carry more people and how that impacted river conservation in the West. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, Don Hatch uh, happened to be rummaging around the surplus store in Salt Lake City and saw these inflatable boats. And I can't remember if he bought one. or Anyhow, he goes back to his dad, Bus, and he tells him about him. And Bus wasn't too uh, enthusiastic about it. He was a carpenter, you know, and he built wooden boats. And um, so Don gets Bus to buy these. You could buy them for $20 a piece or something like that. And they bought a fleet of them, which allows you to carry more weight, more people. A wooden boat, you can carry three people in your gear for a multi-day trip. And you carry five or six people in a raft, or more if it was a bigger raft. And you could carry 20 people on a pontoon pretty easily with their gear. They just had a bigger flotation. And uh, when the Echo Park Dam controversy started up, very few people knew where Echo Park was or what the implications of a dam in a National Park Service area was. And uh, Don started taking the Wilderness Society and the Sierra Club down the uh, Lador Canyon and the Yampa River and showing them what a beautiful place Echo Park was. What was the net effect of all these people? Well, back then, there weren't a lot of uh, do-it-yourself boaters or private boaters. I mean, in the 60s, the dinosaur, other than commercial trips, I saw, well, even, even in the 70s, uh, you know, maybe one private trip the whole time I was there, including the time I was at the boat ramp. There were school trips. You know, a lot of the Denver schools had trips. Uh, a lot of the Arizona schools had trips. Very, very few private trips. So being able to take large groups of people down, like the Sierra Club, the Wilderness Society, uh, you expose a lot more people to what was going on in those river canyons. And that was what trigger the nationwide clamor to stop the Echo Park Dam. Bushel baskets full of letters were appearing in senators from people who lived in their district. You know, don't let them do this. Don't let them do this. And that's the, that's the thing that spawned to me is that you can do some things by sharing with people that hopefully will get them to... Um, to become proactive. When it comes time for you to acquire new river gear, do you ever wonder what company out there is doing some good work for the planet? Jack's Plastic Welding builds the original Paco pad, whitewater boats, and dry bags. They also build coral larval rearing pools. A coral larval rearing pool is a tool built for Seacore International. Secor, spelled S-E-C-O-R-E, is a leading conservation organization for the restoration and protection of coral reefs. They have developed methods to capture coral babies from spawning coral which are settled onto ceramic tiles and eventually outplanted onto an existing reef. When the coral babies are first captured, they are placed in the coral larval rearing pool for four to six weeks. 
These pools have been designed by Jack's Plastic in conjunction with Secor and look a lot like an octagonal whitewater raft without a floor, but with a skirt that drops down about a meter into the ocean water making an enclosure. Secor is building tools and resources for communities around the world to be able to conserve and restore coral reefs. Why is this work necessary? Coral create reefs. Reefs are huge ecosystems which support fish, other ocean life, and economies that depend on them. Reefs need help now more than ever due to degradation caused by many factors including rising ocean temperatures and changes in ocean chemistry. The work Jack's Plastic and Secor are doing supports the restoration of reefs, which maintain these important ecosystems. Healthy reefs support the entire ocean, and healthy oceans support the entire planet. Jack's Plastic Welding, hand-built in the United States, doing their part to sustain this planet. So going back to the conservation topic of movement from wooden boats carrying very few people to these um, army surplus or, or military surplus boats, being able to carry lots of people and get them down the river, introduce them to Echo Park and the like. Then I think about today and I think of the mass amounts of people that are boating yeah, now. Yeah. There are a lot of private boaters. Mm-hmm. How is that also an influence on river conservation or possibly lack of river conservation? You know, one of the difficult balancing acts in the conservation movement, I don't, I can't remember if it was Stiles or Abbey that called it industrial tourism. A lot of people don't understand that. Well, if you look what's happened to Moab and Telluride and Leadville and all these towns that used to be little places on the map that once big recreation comes in and people find out you can make a profit, then big companies come in and they push the little companies out and the town becomes something that it wasn't. And that's what people seem to be looking for these days is a nation of a burger joint that's nationwide so that when you go to Moab, you get the same high-quality experience you get when you go to wherever. And and that's always bothered me, that there's somewhere there's a a line where outdoor recreation crosses and becomes something other than outdoor recreation. If you want people to defend something, you have to somehow get them to experience it and love it. Well, once you get them to experience it, then where where, where do you pull back on the reins and say, whoa, and who does that? I mean, the government agencies aren't going to do it. The Chamber of Commerce aren't going to do it. So that's something I've never come to grips with, is how you, uh, how you get people to experience and love something and not have it go too far. By the Red War and Jesus, if you go down a river, you owe something back to that river. For me, by the time I realized that, I was running rivers all over the United States. I, uh, took, I quit my teaching job, and I was running around. I'd come across the river and run it and find a way to get back to my car. And it suddenly dawned on me that I knew a lot about a lot of rivers, but I didn't know very much about them in depth. And then I began to love the Colorado Plateau, and I began to focus on things like the Dolores and the Little Snake and the San Juan and the Green and the Yampa and, uh, and all the tributaries in the Colorado. And, and And that's what I would suggest to people, that, you know, rather than spreading your time out all over the place, you can do that. But pick one river, one area, and become an expert about that area. 
learn about it, be able to defend it. So let's go back to the salad days. I'm curious, uh, thinking about that film, Cody as the the creator, producer, with other things you would like to have added. The the thing that if I were you know to go in and change in anything, I think I'd add in a little bit more of this work that occurred over the years of Herm, you know, driving to meetings because Herm is a river hero. He's a river hero to these boaters, to me, to this community. And, you know, in this day and age, we see these elevated people who represent rivers in this media, you know, is largely like guys that are dropping like 80 foot waterfalls on a kayak. It's all about this like highly inaccessible and unattainable, like intense activities that, you know, is largely not experienced, you know, by by um, most people. And we look to those people as, as like this elevated, you know, status and like really like I see Herm as that river hero that is something that is attainable to all of us. We can use our voices. We can leverage our agency, our standing in these things and places that matter to us. I would have liked to have characterized that a little bit more, make it more clear about all these years that Herm spent engaging in process that most of us don't have time or don't really want to engage in because we have our own, um, you know, rent to pay, all the things that daily we have to deal with. You know, yeah, I I think I would have liked to have like put that in there just a little bit more. Val, would you tell us about you two boating together? It's featured in the film some, obviously this trip y'all took with Cody and Ben last year, but then some other pictures and and videos of you all earlier in life boating uh, times wearing maybe costumes or maybe that's how you always (laughs) dress on the river. Uh, But tell us about your boating life together. Well, I had done some day trips through Split Mountain, so I knew a little bit, you know, but he took me down Westwater for the first time. And when I talk about him sharing that experience, you know, it was just so beautiful to see that country. And it gives you a different perspective on life to you feel small, but in a good way, because you feel like, okay, 24 seven, there's, there's water flowing. There's, you know, the seasons are changing. There's life moving here and it has nothing to do with me and how what I'm doing in my life Herm was all about sharing um and and watching other people he enjoys watching other people see places that he loves um so that was kind of the introduction and he had a a band uniform and I had a nice black dress and we dressed up and made a nice dinner and made it romantic you know just kind of that was like a one night thing that we always did on our trips even if so, you were with a group of people you did yeah that. and usually and they, would your, they would participate they would participate okay yeah sometimes yeah. they're you know they'd have costumes and stuff there's a lot of pictures of different like outfits and stuff that people <laughs> wore it was always fun herm herm was very intense when we first got together about rapids. He took a lot of pride in that part of it and had a lot of love for that. And really, as time, as the years went on, he became less intense with that. 
he became a lot more calm and I think trusting of his own skills. I don't know. It was just a, a thing that happened over the years that I really noticed mm-hmm. because, you know, the night before Rapids, he could be a little on edge, like, okay, watch out, <laughs> watch your moves. Cause he, <laughs> but it was all built on that anticipation of what's coming tomorrow. And, and I think a lot of boaters go through that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a boater myself. I mean, I'm, I'm a passenger and I've experienced the river trips that way, but I've never really had the desire to row like rapids and things. So I, but I, I recognize it. It's just being more intimate with him. I, I always knew that that's what was going on, but it was kind of cool over the years to see that change and become more like just trusting his own skills. I have some questions for you about. I don't know if it's the cancer, but the way I've been thinking about this is that, uh, well, all four of us sitting in this room, all of us are going to die. That's a given. I could walk out the door and get hit by the proverbial Mack truck after this interview. You know, I'm I'm dying sooner than you, maybe. Uh, But I just don't know it. And it seems to me that you've been given a... A warning. A warning, yeah. A schedule. Someone said, hey, you've been scheduled to die. (laughs) and. How do you know? I, I the the question is how does that feel? And I don't mean to to say in some naive or or ignorant manner to ask that question, because I think we could assume how that feels, but that's clearly an assumption. Well, then if you don't want to feel ignorant about it, how would you feel? How would I feel? I don't know. Uh, I think I would I would I would create that bucket list and go like <laughs> chop off you know the, the last things I want to do. I'd see friends and family. I would. I don't know if I'd quit work, but I sure would try to quit work. Well, my doctor asked me if I'd made a bucket list up. And I said, no, I, I really haven't. I go about life and do the things yeah. that I enjoy doing. And he said, well, and I know this psychologically, that uh, if you make a bucket list and you achieve that bucket list, you're like a ship adrift. I experienced that when I ran the Grand Canyon and the first time. It was on my bucket list of three things I wanted to do. I was like a ship adrift when I achieved that, so I understood it. Then there are people who don't achieve the bucket list, that they're continually in in turmoil, that they can't achieve their bucket list. So I don't make no bucket list up. I'm just going to do it every day because I feel like doing it. I don't think I'm trying to cramp stuff in. I waste a hell of a lot of time. And every now and then I catch myself and go, hey, man, you just pissed away 45 minutes doing nothing. Well... You know, everybody that wanders isn't lost. And a friend expressed it this way. I said to him one time, it was raining. We decided to go on a trip, and he had it on the White River and turned to the snow. And before we left home, I said, Scott, you know, uh, we can sit on my deck. We got the barbecue here. We got dry beds, we got showers, bathroom, toilet, you know. We don't have to do this river trip. We're going to sit out there and talk and talk and talk be quiet and be quiet and be quiet and Scott said well you grew up on a farm you know you put your hay in all summer long so you have something to feed your cows in the winter time and that's what we're doing is we're harvesting those memories to put on our brain to use during those times when you can no longer do it and you would not believe how much I've drawn on that
You can find The Salad Days on YouTube. Go to the NRS channel and look for The Salad Days with Herm Hoops. This episode of The River Radius was recorded and produced by me, Sam Carter. All music is written and produced by Diabolical Sound Platoon. A green river-sized thanks goes out to Herm and Valerie Hoops for sharing part of their Valentine's Day with me. A collegial thanks goes out to Cody Perry and Rig to Flip for helping organize this interview and for participating in the conversation. You can find The River Radius by name on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and our website. We are always looking for more great show topics and leads on river culture. You can reach us by email, hello at theriverradius.com. More episodes are available online. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. My suggestion is you buy yourself a big black Cadillac that's got air conditioning and drive that on the same roads. Outlaws didn't use trails. I mean, most people aren't even perfect at life. But why did they explode? And I mean, that's what I like generally live for is like brief moments of ecstasy. Well, I used the F word or...